Welcome back to The Feminist Agenda, a podcast that explores what it means to be a professional feminist, how to bring feminism into your work no matter what you do, and we'll talk about how we keep our agendas organized. I'm your host, Veronica, and it's Halloween week, one of my most favorite times of the year, but we can't party together this year, and that's really pissing me off, and it's snowing outside my window right now. (laughs) (laughs) So let us take a moment to grieve not just this loss of Halloween, but all the moments we've lost during the pandemic. Um, Although I feel like we're at this point in the pandemic where grieving is not cool. I read something recently about being grateful for the moments we've gained from being in shelter in place. Um, But it's really hard to do that when you're a fairly extroverted person who likes to be out with other people, um, be at book readings, storytelling events, and just hanging with your gang at the bar. It is extremely hard when your only child is experiencing her senior year over Zoom. And you have a good friend in New Zealand, and she keeps sharing all these great pictures of people getting together, like in the before times. But it is October, and the snow at my window is really not rare, but still. Um, But it is a time when Mother Nature starts to nurture its own morning stage. Uh, Leaves are losing their green, taking on vibrant reds and oranges, falling from the trees, blowing in the wind, all beautiful. Um, But the days are getting visibly shorter. The boot socks are definitely coming out. Halloween is days away uh, when we celebrate the scary and spooky things in life. The Day of the Dead reminds us to not just mourn, but celebrate those people we miss. So mourning is not completely sad, but right now sadness feels like it touches everything, like an inside out. Remember when sadness touches all the memory balls? That's just really what it feels like for me. The past seven months have been great in terms of spending time with my little family, but there is sadness and knowing that we've missed other things that we were looking forward to, um, not knowing if in two weeks will be the last time we see our daughter play soccer or if there will be a spring season, uh, Christmas, winter solstice, and my birthday are around the corner. And uh, trying to plan for that right now in this different space is just kind of sad. But it is spooky season, and I am so excited to share with you my conversation with um, author, actor, director, fellow podcaster, and fellow Buffy fan, Bria Grant. Her latest book, a YA graphic novel, Mary, The Adventures of Mary Shelley's Great-Great-Great-Great-Granddaughter, is a perfect read for the season. I love Mary Shelley's story, I love Frankenstein, and I love graphic novels. Mary is a quintessential tale of someone born with a lot of expectations, but feels as if those expectations are drowning her. And she has a little idea who she is because everyone keeps telling her who she is. And the only thing she knows about how to do is to push against all that pressure. She's in high school and fumbling through all those things on top of being a descendant of the great Mary Shelley. This is not a scary book, but it does involve monsters and there is a mystery. And it is really a tale of trying to figure out who you are. 
So maybe it is perfect for all those teens who have been stuck at home with their parental units and haven't been able to get out into the world to do that exploration that helps you figure out who am I? Bria and I want you to pick up this book from your local book dealer, Skip Amazon. Try out bookshop.org. If you buy from them, they donate money to indie bookstores. But they also have this great directories where you can find that indie bookstore near you. Being in Chicago, I am so lucky to have so many available to me, including my fave, Down the Street, Women and Children First. So let me stop talking about Bria and her book and get to my conversation with Bria. Welcome to the Feminist Agenda. Uh, today's guest is Bria Grant. Uh, Bria, can you introduce yourself to everybody? Yeah, my name is Bria Grant, and um, I am a filmmaker and uh, an actress and um, and a podcaster like yourself. Yeah, I uh, took a listen to one of your episodes, and it was so much fun. And you have so much energy and I love the banter between you and your co-host <laughs> and I yeah. love books. Okay. So it would okay. like, it checked all of it off and I immediately signed up for your newsletter. Oh, thank you. Oh, good. Yeah. It's a book podcast called reading glasses. And, um, we like to think of ourselves as the bad girls of, of, of the book podcast world. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I found the right podcast. <laughs> um, so you you got on my radar because you have a graphic novel that just came out um, called Mary, the Adventures of Mary Shelley's great, 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 great granddaughter. Um, and it was such a joy to read. I, I love graphic novels. Um, I love Mary Shelley. Uh, and so it was really fun to read and all the things that you grapple with, especially this kind of coming of age, um, late teenager, early young adult kind of space of what am I doing with my life uh, thing. So I love YA stuff as well. So it hit all my buttons. Um, So how did you first find Mary Shelley? I think like most people, I was introduced to her in high school. I mean, high school is that time where, you know, you have all this required reading and Frankenstein was definitely one of those that was on my required reading lists, but I didn't love it. I liked genre stuff and I liked horror, um, maybe not to the extent I, I do now, but I, I liked that kind of stuff. I remember really loving Dracula, but not loving Frankenstein um, when I read it in high school. Um, so, I mean, I've always known who she was and had an awareness of her. And then um, I was listening to a podcast or something like uh, many years ago, and um, they were talking about how young she was when she wrote Frankenstein. She was not even 20. And um, that was just baffling to me. And then I knew a little bit about her, uh, her mother, who um, was this famous feminist thinker. And like, I kept thinking about how tough it was to be Mary Shelley, like at the time where she was writing at a time where women were not writing, they were definitely not writing horror. Or, or, or science fiction or anything along those lines. And then she was also 19 years old and like trying to live up to these famous parents that she had. And it just, she, it just really struck me. It was more her, um, her life. It was more her biography that struck me than Frankenstein itself. And then I went back and read Frankenstein and then uh, read, some, read some more books about her. There's a really great 
a biography about her and her mother called uh, Romantic Outlaws, if people are interested in, in learning more about her, because they both have just really fascinating lives and were women really living different lives than the women at their time. Oh, that's great. Um, I'll definitely look that up. Uh, because in my journey as a feminist, Mary Shelley does play a big role in that because I found, I found women's studies um, when I was a freshman in college. I, my English class had a theme to it and it was horror. Um, and oh, so nice. we read Frankenstein, Dracula, Poe, lots of kind of classics. And yeah. my instructor was like, you keep coming at all of this stuff from a very feminist perspective. You need to actually take a women's studies class so you know yeah you're better so you can make your argument stronger um oh, that's great what a great and, professor by the way like thank you yeah. professor for showing you which direction to go what a wonderful what a wonderful absolutely person. <laughs> um and so your film and writing has been called feminist um and is in the for the most part in the horror genre um how do you think, or why do you think that these two things work so well together? Well, I mean, if you think about horror, I, I mean, I definitely would say my work is all very feminist and even, and I mean, just taking a step back, I mean, I started this industry as an actress and I didn't have much say over what I did because I was just trying to make a living, trying to do anything to, to, to be an actress. It's very tough to do. Um, but even then I would like, you know, have my little, <laughs> my little feminist fights within every, every role, you know, like, let's give this character a job. Let's give her a name, you know, like just things that like to try to like, you know, <laughs> improve the characters. Yeah. Um, but, but if you look at horror as a genre and genres filmmaking in general, but, but specifically horror, it is one of two genres in which women are often the leads and that's that's horror and the other one being romantic comedies um and so there is a place for um you it, you do see women on screen when you're watching horror so i think it's why a lot of teen girls are drawn to it it's the the biggest horror market is teenage girls um and and i think it's why a lot of girls like me who grew up kind of watching it and liking it especially women my age who um learned who got into horror in the 90s when it was having this huge resurgence um why we're trying to make those movies now because we love the genre and we can see the empowerment behind it and no not every movie is empowering but also sometimes it's just seeing your face reflected back at you or seeing a woman making decisions and a woman as a protagonist is a, is really interesting and we don't always agree with her and sometimes she is just a you know a virgin cheerleader and like you know very dismissed you can easily <laughs> yes. dismiss her um but at the same time, it, I mean, it, it's something, whereas in a lot of movies, you don't even have female characters with speaking roles, you know, or you don't have characters in these protagonist roles. Yeah. So I think there is something about it that um, particularly women of my generation just grew up seeing women on screen in horror movies. So we're drawn to it. Absolutely. Um, you, you have a movie about a nurse who is a black market organ dealer and yeah. the body, body horror around that is just mind-blowing I haven't seen it but I saw the trailer and now I want to see it um and I will I'll see send it. it to you I'll, I'll send it to you on, I'll send you a link <laughs> awesome that'd be great um but considering the fact that nursing is such a stereotypical women's job and then to subvert that with the idea yeah. of her being a black market art organ dealer, um, where did that come from, and how did how did you come up with such a 
(laughs) (laughs) The idea, I mean, the idea itself sort of stemmed from a lot of things. Um, I'm from a small town in Texas and I wanted to write about that place in the 90s and that specific era, which was a very like rough and like harsh and uh, just a very different type of uh, uh, place to grow up in um, than I think you know, uh, where I live now, Los Angeles, the very least. Um, so I wanted to write about that. And then I also love urban legends. And, um, I, I love the urban legend where the person wakes up in the bathtub and they're missing a kidney and it says on the mirror, like go to the hospital right now. So that kind of, um, I kind of kept turning that over in my head. And this is a little bit of my answer, my very, very ancillary answer to like (laughs) what might've happened to that kidney or the idea of like selling organs at all, because I, I just think, it was something that very much concerned me as a teenager in the 90s, but now it does not concern me. <laughs> Maybe my organs are too old to sell now. I don't know. Um, but I mean, it's interesting you say this about um, nursing as a profession, because it's a question I've been getting a lot about the movie. And then the main actress is, is um, Angela Bettis. Does it feels to be in this movie that has like a lot of strong women cast um, at, as the main roles, a lot of women, um, which is, you know, things that you don't get to see in movies. And and she was like, you know, it's great, but like, I don't know how to answer this. And we talked about it a long time about how there's su- there's such a push to see women on screen. But like, for me, it was so uh, obvious, like just make a movie in a place where women already are, you know, like create that women, it is, a, it is a very female dominated field. My brother is a nurse. So obviously it's not completely female dominated and I acknowledge that, but, um, it is a very female dominated film. And so if we're looking to explore these places where we may not see many films set, or we may not see many, where we will automatically see women on screen, like go explore these places. Like how many shows are there about doctors? I mean, come on, yeah. like <laughs> yeah, doctor shows. Like <laughs> nursing is such a, an industry where it's just very much, it's very female dominated. And so like getting to play in that is, is such a, so much fun. <laughs> Um, yeah, that, that just really blows my mind, uh, because, um, that really makes me stop and think, uh, my, my day job is working in science and diversity, diversifying science. My work has been about trying to get more women into spaces where it has been male dominated. Um, but I love this idea of, uh, we have female dominated women dominated spaces. So why don't we tell those stories as opposed to just trying to shift um, maybe at both at the same time? Yeah, of course. And I mean, there's- Trying to find equity, trying to find equity, but also digging into those stories. Yeah. Like, I mean, I I love movies where it's like, um, you know, the first female astronomers and like things like that. Those are so fascinating. And I I do really want to see them. Um, But for me, like it just felt- when I'm writing about something I felt like I knew and had seen and could speak to, it, it, that one felt like a really obvious one. Oh, I just noticed your Octavia Butler thingy in the back. That's so cool. Yes. Oh, thanks. Our uh, local NPR station did uh, made some posters. So. Oh my God, so cool. Gotcha. I love it. Thanks. Um, <laughs> so we've already established your, your movies, your work is feminist. Um, how do you define feminism? Oh, wow. Um, I mean, I think my definition of feminism has changed a lot over the years. Um, So I was in a college feminist organization. All of the women in that organization are still my best friends. 
um, <laughs> which is really nice. Um, and we uh, uh, made these shirts in uh, you know year 2002 or something that said uh, feminism is anti-sexism. And that was like, and we wore them and people, it blew people's minds that that, that, that feminism could be such an easy thing to just define. And I think as I've gotten older, obviously it's just become a lot, uh, it, it has become much broader than that, um, where I think like taking into account, um, you know, t racism and, um, and uh, uh, climate change and all the ways in which um, uh, issues of the world affect um, everyone is, makes it, is it a feminist issue? Um, I think those things have really, I, I, they have definitely changed as I've gotten older. But at its core, I do think it is it is anti-sexism. You know, it is it is the belief that that women are people. It's so what what a radical notion. Um, <laughs> it is a radical notion these days. <laughs> I know. Um, I mean, it, it's funny because I think at the time it was so weird to talk about feminism. People weren't talking about it, and like, thank God, whatever happened in the last ten years or so, where people can talk about it really openly, and it's not such a terrible word. I think at the time we started a feminist group and people were like, whoa, a feminist group in Texas and this university. And <laughs> it was just like really, it felt really big to do. Um, and we were the only feminist group on campus. Um, but yeah, now I, I assume there's like 20 feminist groups on every campus. Maybe I'm wrong. I hope there is. <laughs> I don't know. Um, my daughter's in high school and I remember her reporting that there were like three feminist clubs in the high school. And I was like, what? But I love there was like a, I feel like the, the traditional feminist group, but there was also a group uh, about feminism and fashion. And I was like, wow, like, this That's is so amazing. Cool. This oh. is so great. Wow. Um, so how do you bring feminism to your process of your art and your work um, while you're writing or even how you direct things? Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, it's kind of hard to separate it <laughs> from who I am at this point, but I will say like, so I had two movies go to film festivals this year, 12 hour shift, which is already out. And then another one called lucky, which comes out next year, um, that I did not direct. I, I wrote it. Um, and I'm in it, but, um, with those two movies, uh, I had a real, I, I felt like there was a real need for, for, for this in the market, um, which is, I felt like there's a real need for the female anti-hero. Um, in the marketplace, because I I feel like I've seen so many movies with these interesting, complicated male characters, and for me, I wanted to see that on screen with these these interesting, complicated female characters who aren't necessarily doing the things we like, and they have problems, and they're maybe they're selling they're selling um, uh, uh, organs on the black market. I don't know <laughs> um, things that make them not necessarily uh, uh, completely innocent, because. I think that there is a mandate right now to see women on screen, but for me, you know, humans have flaws. Women are human, therefore <laughs> women should have flaws on screen. Yeah. And I, I, I love a movie in which like the women are great and honored and, and that is also very important to me. And I don't want to discount those at all. But for me, I wanted to create a complicated, these complicated female characters. Um, the main character in 12 Hour Shift is a drug addict who sells organs on the black market but I wanted us to recognize that she could still be a hero. She could still make good, some choices. We don't agree with all of her choices, but I wanted to show that she could do interesting things and we could follow, her story could be interesting enough to follow for an hour and a half. Um, 
and, and so that I think is where I am at right now and where I am creating things. Um, I think like I have a couple of other arenas that I'm interested in creating things and I want to create some stuff that is all ages so that there can be some younger women um, who are able to um, partake in it. And, and that was Mary. Mary is a YA book and I wanted to be able to show show different aspects of like coming of age and um, and being a woman. Um, yeah, does that kind of answer the question? I feel like I got off on a tangent. <laughs> that definitely answers part of the question. Um, and uh, another part is, so I'm not familiar with the with all the ins and outs of creating movies and directing movies, but so when you're directing, how do you feel like you direct and do you feel like you direct in a feminist manner? Do you bring your feminism to your directing um, since you've had enough experience in Hollywood to be able to say that is definitely not a feminist way to direct a movie or anything like that? I think I do. Um, I think I'm very collaborative and I'm very um, um, trusting of everyone in a way where I want to give people agency, which I think is very important, especially when I mean, for me, like, I mean, starting at the beginning, I'm trying to hire more women. I've written female, a lot of female roles, and I want to give these women agency, especially the actresses um, who are coming in and um, putting a lot of faith in me. I want to put a lot of faith in them. And that feels like a very feminist move to me because the other option, which I have been in many times as an actress, is to sort of come in and treat and puppet someone and to not let them be artists. And for me, like, I want them to bring in who they are and I want them to create the roles that they want to see. Um, and, and, and it does start with the casting. It starts with finding a diverse cast. It starts with finding, it starts with the writing, like writing diverse women, writing different types of women um, and writing women, period, the end. I mean, that's, <laughs> and it's so, so <laughs> a feminist move. I mean, it's so sad, but it is still a feminist move. Um, and then and then going in and making sure your heads of department are, um, uh, are trying to find what female heads of department, trying to be aware um, of lack of resumes. That's something that I think about a lot um, because for me, even though I've been making films for a while, I still don't have the resume of a man my age because I just haven't had the opportunities necessarily. And um, the same with a lot of women who are trying to be heads of departments and also the same for a lot of actresses and particularly actresses of color um, over 35 are not going to have the long list of resumes as a white man over 35. It's just not gonna happen. So you are going to, if you are looking for a person to fill a role, then you're going to have to take a shot on someone who may not have a long resume. Like some, like you could slot in a man over 35 and he's probably famous. <laughs> a woman of color over 35. There's no, there haven't been roles being written for them 10 years ago. So they haven't had time to fill up that resume. And I think about that a lot. So I think thinking about the ways, so one, being collaborative. This is my roundabout way of answering this. Uh, you just went, got, I just brought you through my whole process. Um, one, That's being great. And, and two, like taking into account the way the industry has affected people over, over many, many years and kept Absolutely. people out when they couldn't get in. And now we're trying to find places for them. But I still hear it all the time where they're like, oh, well, she doesn't have the resume. And I'm like, well, she hasn't had the opportunities. Like we need to like, we're giving her the opportunity to do this. That's great. That is amazing. Um, so, uh, I have so many thoughts in my head um, going through when you were talking about that. It's just like, like great. That I, that I tend to like 
Like I just, <laughs> that I tend to word vomit on people. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. That's great. I love that because as I said, I, I'm not familiar with the whole process of creating movies other than what I know from watching movies um, <laughs> TV shows. So, but it, it, yeah. it makes, it's, it's very similar as in, as I said, I'm in academia. Uh, people are always looking at resumes, who's gotten awards, who's published, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And there's so many different reasons why women, women of color, people of color have a quotes, less impressive CV or resume mm-hmm. than white men do. Um, and I love that, that concept of um, considering that and taking risks, quote unquote, <laughs> calculated risks on people, having faith in people. Yeah, exactly. Um, so while I was digging down into my research on you, um, I did see, and I read this and then saw it in Mary that you are a Buffy fan. I am a Buffy fan. I love Buffy. Mm-hmm. Um, so which Buffy character do you identify with? Oh, wow. Um, well, so I did a rewatch recently. I love the series. I like the comics, but I also, I got my start on the movie and I watched the movie probably every weekend when I was in middle school. Um, My best friend at the time and I would watch it every single weekend and I rewatched it recently. I don't know if you've watched that in a while. Um, I haven't watched it in a while. (laughs) Just a rewatch because it's great. Um, And um, I, I was watching it and thinking, oh my God, like, I have just spent my entire life trying to become Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the movie. Like, I (laughs) I had no idea. I feel like I modeled my personality. I feel like I modeled the way I speak. I feel like I modeled my sartorial choices. Like, I feel like everything about her, I'm like, I just like had this moment where I was like, I I did not know. Because of course, when I was watching, I was like in fifth grade, you know, and I hadn't developed all these things. So I'm weirdly the most Buffy from the movie. And I don't know how uh-huh. that's possible because that's the only one I haven't watched a lot. But I mean, re-watching it, I was just like, oh, wow, this was such a huge influence on me without me me realizing it. Um, but I do love books. I don't know. So I have some Willow in me for sure if we're talking uh-huh. about series. Yeah. Um, who are you? Who are you from Buffy? Um, I definitely feel like a lot, a lot a very Willow-ish. Very yeah. bookish, techy, yeah. a little little mousy the way she is a little like very bubbly but mousy at the same time yeah which I like about her yeah because I feel like I'm also bubbly but people are surprised when I'm like no I'm I stay at home on the weekends like I stay (laughs) home I do not party I want to be at home reading books um (laughs) and I think that's surprising because I can be very outgoing but Willow has that too where she's charming and interesting yes is just a nerd Uh uh-huh yes exactly that's what I am I'm a nerd um (laughs) although I do feel like I try to model a lot of my fashion and hair after Buffy um on the tv show when it was airing so yeah yeah she was very head gosh she was um but in my heart of hearts I I, there's part of me who wishes I was a little more faith oh yeah me too but but you know we all we want to be faith but we don't (laughs) She's just so ballsy and like in a way that yes. like I feel like Buffy Buffy was but was always like oh I don't know like you know right. like questioning whereas Faith never questioned anything and there is something like I do respect about that yeah absolutely I have too much 
<laughs> too much respect for the rules to be a faith. <laughs> oh, I love rules. I love them. <laughs> I know, which is maybe why we're more willows. We're almost Giles at that point. I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah. I am uh, currently trying to decorate, uh, create a reading nook in my home. And I do keep going at it as what would Giles think? <laughs> what would Giles do? So. <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> going back to something, um, uh, gosh, there was something else that we were going to say. Um, but middle school, I mean, you watch the movie in middle school, middle school is a hugely, uh, is a time where like, I feel like we get imprinted with a lot of things that we don't realize for a while. Um, I've been watching, I just finished pen 15. Um, did um, you, you watch that? Yeah. I'm uh, I may be halfway through this season. I love it. So, okay. Uh, it's, it really like strikes the, like, sometimes I watch it and I'm like, I don't know if I can keep watching this. Cause it's so horrifying to me. <laughs> yes. I, I, I have told other people, I watch it as if it's a horror movie, like yes. with my hands in front of my eyes. Like, no, don't, don't know. I, I'm at the part where the cool rich girl keeps calling everyone fools. And I'm like, this is me <laughs> wanting to be friends with this girl. And it like makes me, and it makes me so uncomfortable because I'm like, I've been to this girl's house. I wanted to be friends with her and like, oh my God. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's probably where your Buffy the movie imprint comes from. It's just the fact, the time when you watched it. So yeah. Um, yeah. Fifth grade. That, that like fifth, sixth, seventh grade years. <laughs> yeah. Very, very ugh, awful. Oh, um, okay. Back to horror, horror. What was your favorite horror flick as a kid? You know, as a kid, I didn't watch as many. Um, I'm an older brother, so I watched some, I, weirdly, and this, I know now it's not really a horror movie, but at the time it really scared me, and that was Tremors. <laughs> um, it's a which classic. Is more, it's a comedy, really, yes. um, which maybe is where I get my sensibilities from, but I remember walking around my house and being scared the Tremors were, uh, the Graboids, I guess, were going to come out of the ground and get me, and so I loved, I loved that movie, and when it's on TV, I always watch it very entertaining um but I also as a teenager came of age during that fun 90s era and I love Scream I love um um I know what you did last summer like all of those movies really made had a big impact on me and made me realize I liked horror movies that's awesome um so as a writer which book is at your bedside right now Ooh. Um, as a writer or as a or reader? since you are, a, and you're, you're a writer, so I'm sure you have books yeah, everywhere, sure. but what book uh, is I, at your bedside? Yeah, I almost only read science fiction and, um, genre books. I just finished a book, um, called The Space Between Worlds by, The Space Between Worlds by Micaiah Johnson, and I hope I'm saying that right. Um, and it is a really cool science fiction book about, um, a, about a world in which you can go to other um, alternate universes, alternate worlds of the same world. And this, of course, private company that capitalizes on this, but you can only go there if you have died on other planets. So oh. they find people who live these really traumatic and horrifying childhoods where they should have died. And um, so like have a terminal illness that they survived or live in a really dangerous neighborhood. And then they send them to the other worlds as like their ambassador as the people to like go find information so the main character is this woman who has lived um in this really impoverished area full of crime and um she becomes one of the people who was able to travel between worlds and it's like her story so it's a really wow. interesting amazing um yeah like cool 
um, science fiction that talks a lot about class and a lot about privilege. Um, I, I thought it was really good. Love it. Love it. Uh, yeah. To put that on my very long to, to read list. On yes. my good reads. <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome. So this is the feminist agenda. We talk about how we keep ourselves organized. How do you keep yourself organized? Um, okay. I'm a bullet I journaler and yeah. live and die by my Google calendar, but how do you keep all your ducks in a row? I could do a separate podcast on this because I do love organization <laughs> techniques. That's what I'm I, here for. I talk about this all day. Um, I, uh, because, and because I think it stems in part because I have multiple jobs. You know, I am a writer, I'm an actor, I'm a director. I end up working on many projects at once. Um, but I use a Hobonichi Teco. Do you know the Hobonichi Teco? No. It's, um, oh my gosh. Let's yes, me introduce tell me. You. It is it is a Japanese um uh like pocket journal and it is a um a technically a bullet journal, I would I would say. It has lined pages uh with dates and um each page is big enough to where I can write my schedule on one half, but it's small, but it's small, like it's the size of like my hand or something. Um I wish I had it here to show you. Um, but I, on one half, I write my schedule for the day and the other half, I write my to-do list. So I'm, I live and die by a to-do list. That is my daily agenda. And I like to check things off. That makes me feel very good about myself. Yes. Um, yes. And I, and every day I have, you know, the number of pages I want to write, my workout. Um, and then I, and I plan them, you know, once I finish something for one day, I try to add it to the next day or add it, you know, beyond. So um, every day I have writing and working out and a certain number of steps and things like that. And then I also put every activity I need to do, which includes like today, I know I need to send my comic book to a whole bunch of people and I have a list, but I also have some stuff around the house to do. Like I have like clean my floors and wash the dog. And like, so I, I kind of like give everything a similar amount of, um, uh, of, of a space on the to-do list. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So the to-do list is really my is really my game. Absolutely. Yes. I love to-do lists. Um, oh it just God. took me a while to figure out how to actually check my to-do list, <laughs> which is why I love the bullet journal because you have to, you have to write it out. And so yes. I, if I yes. don't have, if I don't write out my bullet journal, I don't have anything. I don't know where I'm going other than my Google calendar, but still. I, I feel the same way. I, I look at the, I look, Every day I start the day by looking at what I need to do, which is decided the day before. I can't decide day of, you know, and, um, and then my schedule for the day. And then I carry around my little journal all day long to each uh -huh. room of my house as I do things and check things off. Like it is, it is a, um, it is definitely my best friend, that little journal. <laughs> <laughs> what is your sign? I'm a Libra. Okay. My birthday is, in a, is, on, is on the 16th. <laughs> it's very soon. I'm a Capricorn. So I feel like, I think we're all yeah, yeah. synced in the stars yeah organized. well I think the most Libra thing I do is I put fun stuff on my to-do list so okay, I put like good. read read it for an hour today like if I feel like I'm not doing enough or like watch an indie movie you've been wanting to watch like I will put that on my to-do list which is of a course. very like searching for balance type of thing yes 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 mm -hmm. <laughs> I do that too yeah in the before time Bef in the before times when I would have much more of a regimented schedule, I definitely had like a little tracker for reading a certain amount of out minutes a day, drinking water, getting exercise oh, yeah. that kind of thing. I, yes. I'm always impressed by the people who measure the water. That's, that's such an impressive thing. 
I, you know, I don't drink a lot of water, so I have to okay. <laughs> make myself drink more water. You're like, otherwise I would die. I would, I would just be water. caffeine and alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Um, thank you so much. Uh, those are all my yeah. questions. Do you have anything else you would like to share with our audience? Anything that's coming up down we should be expecting from you? Um, no, I mean, the book is out. You can buy it everywhere. I would suggest um, a website I love called bookshop.org, which um, will uh, you can buy it online, but it gives part of the money to your local bookstore. So that's a really cool um, uh, independent website. Um, and uh, the movie is available on all platforms. And people a lot of times don't know this, but um, I actually, like if you rent it and don't wait it for it to go to Netflix, I actually see money from that rental and I never see money from Netflix. So like if oh, you okay. want to support indie female filmmakers, Rent, rent our movies because it makes a huge difference uh, uh, financially and whether or not we get to make our next movie uh, if we make money on these various platforms. The Netflix stuff doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, it's great okay. because people see it. But like as far as like voting with your dollars, uh, buy those indies because they make a big difference. Or rent them, rent them. They're like five bucks. Like it's like nothing. Right. Awesome. Thanks for that information. We'll share yeah, that. Of um, again, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks to Bria for nerding out with me over Buffy. Come to think of it, this podcast wouldn't really have happened without my love of Buffy and the podcast Buffering the Vampire Slayer and being home because of the pandemic. So I guess this whole thing's a big pandemic positive. So go get her book, Mary. Write her movies, including 12 Hour Shift. Don't wait for it to be picked up by Netflix. Support artists. As I was writing the script, my copy of Megan Rapinoe's memoir arrived. I won't even attempt to dream of her being on the podcast to discuss, so I'll have to drone on about it with y'all. And I can't wait. I flipped through it and there are photos. I love memoirs with photos. Baby Megan is too cute. During the last World Cup, my family and I were on our West Coast road trip and were desperate to find a place to watch the final. We almost drove to Megan's hometown and it was just a little too far off our path. Instead, we found this adorable theater in Arcata, California. It was perfect. Not as rowdy as we're used to in Chicago, but we had breakfast nachos, so it was pretty fair exchange. And I love prologues, especially in memoirs. I feel like people sometimes skip prologues to get to the heart of the story, but you have to read this one. It's pretty awesome. So let me give you a taste. I want to start by saying something about the purpose of this book. A frequent criticism of people who have had a lot of media attention is that they're using the spotlight to leverage themselves and hijack the moment. You become famous and you run with it. You make a commercial, put out a perfume, you cash in on a book or a reality show. I am totally cashing in to capitalize on this moment. I'm just doing it for what I hope are reasons that aren't exclusively seedy. In the pages that follow, you will read about my childhood in Northern California, my twin sister, Rachel, my hilarious mom and wacky dad, as well as my highs and lows with the U.S. women's national soccer team. But while I have your attention, I also want to discuss issues that are important to me and have nothing to do with sports or my family. As a child, I was small for my age. I was shy and let my sister speak for me. I didn't always fit in. And while I was a natural athlete from the get-go, Rachel and I could both do double dutch in kindergarten. And for a while, I wasn't totally sure of myself. 
Not until I was 18 and in college did I even realize I was gay, for God's sake. Something that, given how completely obvious it was in hindsight, I'm still pissed at my family for not pointing out sooner. Like almost everyone in my hometown, my family was socially and politically conservative, although we weren't an overly political household. The lessons I learned growing up had to do with standing up to bullies and doing the right thing, part of which my parents said meant acknowledging how lucky we were. There were lots of kids in our family, and we didn't have much money, but we grew up in a safe, loving environment where all our needs were met. On top of that, my twin and I were cute, good at sports, and popular at school. We had it incredibly easy. We were also white. This might seem like stating the obvious, but I honestly think many white people don't realize they are wandering around with a 400-year baked-in advantage. I know I didn't. After college, I could talk about environmental and women's rights, and as I got older, I spoke more about LGBTQ rights and pay equity, but it took me longer to piece together an understanding of how power and politics work beneath the surface and beyond my immediate experience. The very fact that I'm addressing you now, in a book, I received lots of money for and began writing at the end of the year when I won every possible award, isn't simply because I'm a good soccer player or as athletes love to say, because I worked really hard. You know who else works hard? Everyone. So, so far, this book has been really great. Um, It's a memoir, easy read. I've watched enough of Megan's interviews to feel like she's being honest and herself in this telling. Um, You kind of just, I can hear her voice in her pages. And, and she swears a lot. I like that. I swear a lot. Um, so (laughs) I really appreciate that. Um, she is also the second (laughs) uh, soccer player that I've heard in less than a week give shit to North Carolina for the way they treat their college athletes. So pick up this book, pick up Mary through your local bookstores. Uh, Megan's book will be out in early November. Um, Bria's book is out now, so get both. You'll enjoy it. I'm going to keep reading through Megan's book and give you a full review when I am done. All right. So until next time, a reminder that you can find The Feminist Agenda on all your usual social media spots, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at FeministaCast. That's Feminist A Cast. You can also email me at FeministCast at gmail.com. That's Feminist no a cast at gmail drop me a note about what you love today what you think i should do better who i should talk to um and until next time keep feminism on your agenda and wear your goddamn mask